Approximately 40% of all municipal solid waste, which is what from your home you put into like your garbage bag, 40% of that is food. There's more that it could be considered organics and is potentially compostable, like call it half of what we throw to these places like landfills and incinerators could go to a compost pile where it can then be returned to a garden or to a a farm. From the Island Institute, it's Commercial Currents, the podcast, a show about small business on Maine's islands and coast, where we share the power of community and creativity through the voices of small business owners and those who partner with us. And I'm your host, Claire Donnelly. And in this episode, I talk with Tessa and Davis, the co-founders of Scrap Dogs Community Compost, located in Rockland, Maine. Scrap Dogs is a composting operation with the goal of minimizing waste sent to the landfill. I learned a lot in this episode, and it was a joy to talk with them both. I learned about how they met, their startup story, and how the pandemic, in some ways, actually helped them legitimize their business. Tessa and Davis are two self-proclaimed food system nerds who fell in love while trying to find their place in the food waste world. And I hope you enjoy their story as much as I did. So that's actually kind of a great story. Tessa and I actually met for the first time in a working group for recycling at NYU. We were both vaguely interested in improving recycling processes, learning more about what was happening at NYU and trying to help improve the system. We ended up doing our own analysis of recycling infrastructure at NYU. This project was uh, that we initially did was pretty small, but it morphed into a serious interest in zero waste uh, analysis, zero waste studies for universities and educational institutions. Somewhere along the line, after many different conversations between the two of us and some of our other friends, I managed to convince Tessa to help me start a nonprofit to build zero waste pathways for educational institutions. We were shooting, shooting in the dark as young students do, uh, trying to do a bunch of different stuff. We thought we were going to build automated recycling bins that collected data on brands that were disposed of in trash. The, the goal was to do some producer responsibility, but also sell these recycling bins and, oh, at the same time, have waste characterization studies that we ran with students. A lot of different stuff that kind of got jumbled into this nonprofit that when we graduated, um, we had a really hard time mobilizing funds for. I think we both realized we were all over the place. Maybe my garbage geekiness uh, went in too many different directions. Got it. Yeah. So like so many entrepreneurs, maybe your first plan didn't work, but you know, here you are a couple of young trash passionate students. You clearly didn't give up on food waste. The passion that I had for waste and Tessa, Tessa also had for waste, I think stuck around. We were still uh, actually together in a relationship and one of the things that kept coming back was the idea of doing diversion work and working in waste. 
uh, in a community that really mattered to us. Totally. So then how did you sort of like hone your focus and and get to, to starting Scrap Dogs as it is today? My local transfer station in my hometown issued this survey that was asking people what they wanted out of their transfer station, whether or not they thought uh, they were getting enough compost resources, recycling, etc. And that survey was an impetus for us to look into what it would be like to move move here and try to help set up an organics management um, and diversion uh, project for my hometown. And I was so happy to have Tessa as a partner to do that. So Tessa, what was that pitch like? Come move from New York City to rural Maine to start a composting business with me? Or, or how much, I guess, how much convincing did it take? Yeah, I like to joke that it was quite a bit of, of uh, arm twisting, but it's Definitely not. I mean, you you just look around and you can be convinced to move here in, in a day. And I also like to joke that I was dragged into the trash world by Davis, but it it was also a very easy transition from other subject areas that I was already interested in. Uh, community organizing around sustainability types of issues and climate, but also combined with more data-based approaches. Um, I think the trash world was an easy one to get into from those places. Um, and an interest in food, which which has evolved into food waste for now. So yeah, it was it was not so hard to be convinced. Nice. Yeah, that's great. Cool. So I'm noticing that there's some lingo associated with food waste. What do you mean by um, diversion? Or what? Uh, yeah, what does that mean in this context, I guess? It's diverting material that typically goes to one place to another place. So like rerouting it. So in our case that we're referring to food waste and other organics. Organics just means any material that'll biodegrade. So we're working to divert organics from landfill and incinerators. For most people who don't compost, their food waste ends up going to those places um, and having a pretty negative impact. I think most people kind of have that general awareness that landfilling is not great, incineration is not great, but it's what we've got. It leads to, you know, emissions of CO2 and methane um, and other harmful chemicals. It is often responsible, especially in terms of landfilling, for you know groundwater contamination, air quality being minimized, health impacts, all that kind of stuff. And I think our goal with composting, and most people's goal with composting, is to divert that material away from those harmful places and put it to use. So to not have it be so much a waste product as a resource, um, which is kind of a fun way to reframe the idea of waste. Thinking of it as these underutilized or unutilized resources that could be made into this totally awesome thing, compost, that helps you grow food, you know, retain water and reduce runoff and all these other cool positive impacts. Approximately 40% of all municipal solid waste, which is what from your home you put into like your garbage bag, that 40% of that is food. There's more that it could be considered organics and is potentially compostable, like call it half of what we throw to these places like landfills and incinerators could go to a compost pile where it can then be returned to a garden or to a, a farm. Wow, I had not heard that statistic before. Yikes. Um, 
But Tessa, I really like that image of turning a waste product into a resource. Just the idea that we should be thinking about these food scraps in our kitchen that are could in fact be made into a resource is is really cool. So what is the actual process? Like how do scrap dogs help people divert their food waste from landfills and incinerators? So scrap dogs is a curbside compost service. We pick up five gallon buckets of food waste from homes and often larger containers from uh, restaurants and other commercial food users and producers. We take all that food waste out to a dairy farm in Washington, Maine, where it gets mixed on a concrete pad, turned over the course of eight weeks, cooked for a couple months more, and then returned locally to our subscribers of our service or sold. So I wanted to take a quick break and remind you about our upcoming event on November 18th. We're hosting a virtual event. It's called Let's Talk Maine Seafood. This is a panel discussion that will feature Luke Holden of Luke's Lobster, chef and author Barton Seaver, and Bree Warner, the CEO of Atlantic Sea Farms. Join them from their home kitchens to learn about the variety of sustainable Maine seafood available today tips for preparing it, and the many ways you can support your local fishermen now and into the holiday season. Head to islandinstitute.org backslash events for info and to pre-register. And those in attendance will have the chance to win cookbooks, t-shirts, fresh lobster, and more. And now back to Scrap Dogs. So... On this podcast, we talk a lot about the effect of the pandemic on small businesses. And I know from reading your blog, you guys ended up having to shut down for a little while. I'm just curious, like, how did the pandemic end up disrupting the systems that you had in place? In March, we shut down because we'd largely been operating our business out of a parking lot. <laughs> and the, non, the non-composting parts of our business. <laughs> yeah. And without a location where we could wash our equipment. We didn't feel comfortable promising sanitary conditions of our buckets for our customers. Also, our washing method was to pressure wash the buckets and essentially spray all of the food waste back into our faces. Very attractive. Yeah, especially with uh, an airborne virus. Water vapor with coronavirus did not seem like a great cocktail for us in in the moment. So we took stock of uh, where we were as a company, what we needed in order to grow and scale, and started to work on finding a space that we could be in more long-term, some more appropriate washing equipment that would get us through any recurrences or reemergence of the coronavirus, and grant writing for some of the different projects they were hoping to do with Scrap Dogs. Yeah, that sounds tough. Was there ever a point where you didn't think you were going to make it out the other side? I mean, I think (laughs) there's no way to say that in March, every small business was not afraid of the possibility of shutting down. If there was ever a situation where it was okay to say that sometimes this doesn't work, like it's probably now, but we didn't end up saying that. And I think both of us are still very proud of the work we're doing and, and obviously still here 
collecting people's trash. So I think we were able to get over that. But yeah, I think definitely that risk was was there. And for any business, that's never easy. Yeah, but it definitely feels like you've come out the other side stronger. Your business is in a better place. How how have things changed? Yeah, so let's see. It's been just about almost three months since we resumed our services, um, right at the start of August. We began the same collections that we had been doing. We kind of had to bring our customers back on. Another change that we made while we were suspended was to transition on to a new app for our customers. So on top of everything else, we also had to try to communicate a new way of doing business with Scrap Dogs, more or less, which has been super exciting for us. It's really streamlined some of our like collection routes and communications and that kind of thing. So that's been great. But bringing some people back on, we did lose a couple customers. We, we were doing some numbers recently and we've, we lost probably close to 15 or 20% of our original customers, which was pretty tough. But that said, having suspended all services for, you know, four plus months, that's to be expected. But otherwise we were able to kind of pick up where we left off and with increased efficiency for sure and sanitation measures. We are right now, we're, we're speaking from our new little warehouse. We have kind of a little office space and then we have our wash station out back, including a very lightly used commercial dishwasher, which fully sanitizes all of our buckets and also improves our bucket washing tempo by quite a bit. So that's very exciting and very geeky as well. And then we have the space for storage, for parking our vehicles, not at our house, and super friendly neighbors that we love. So uh, that's been a great improvement. And we've started to kind of pick back up in terms of growth again. We've been going pretty strong for the first year and a half. And I think we're starting to get back to that. A, A big piece of kind of our quote unquote marketing efforts is really word of mouth and and kind of testimonial from neighbors. So I think that now that we're back up and running and and with these new and exciting improvements um, and a cool app, I think people are are getting back to chatting about us, which is so wonderful. And we've always been so grateful for that. So I think we're we're starting to see that growth again, which is great. Wow, that is awesome. Yeah, it's just like despite everything, you guys really used the shutdown time to your advantage. It almost seems like seeing it as an opportunity to step back from your business a little bit and take stock and build out these new, more efficient systems. Did it feel like that to you? I think some of the best moments for us were in the the grant writing that Tessa and I did together. Yeah. For for the Island Institute grant, that was all Tessa, by the way. (laughs) And the DEP grant that we got to build out our collection infrastructure. Yeah, and that, I mean, always with grant writing, but I think especially over coronavirus, it gives you the opportunity to take stock and like put it on paper, which, you know, when you start a business, you write your business plan and maybe you have like an annual report or something like that where you do take kind of financial stock. But for us, I think both of those grants called us to do that work plus the like emotional and philosophical work around our business. Like, what are we? Are we doing what we want to be doing? Um, And how do we get there beyond this pandemic? You know, how do we survive? And then how do we keep growing from there? Because we don't want to be in this place again. Yeah. 
I've been envious of some business owners using coronavirus as a time to get paid for to do some of the work that uh, they've needed to do. We fell through a lot of the cracks in the PPP and uh, disaster recovery loans and grants because we've only, we're so young that we couldn't prove income or and profit to the certain degree that would actually make it worth it for us to apply. And our, you know, we we're not really in a place to take out any more of a loan unless it can be forgivable, which is another reason why those grants for building out more capacity for our business were so important for, for us in terms of making these uh, decisions about going forward. Mm, yeah, Ugh, I'm sorry to hear about the federal programs. That's super tough. Um, but I'm glad that you were able to get those grants. So what are what are you hoping these grants are going to help you achieve? Do you have sort of new directions, long term growth? Like what are you, what are you all thinking about? We have always been passionate about food systems on top of waste systems, especially where the two intersect. I think they're totally inextricable. The idea that you're consuming things and then there's still stuff left over that can be reutilized to grow the things that you were originally consuming. Like that is such a fascinating circle for us. And although we focus on the waste side, at least to start this business, I think that's always kind of haunted us that, that we're not completing that circle yet. So one thing that we are planning to introduce to our business model and the Island Institute is helping us introduce is food delivery to our customers. So everyone who lives in Maine knows that we have a fabulous food system already. We have a million amazing local food producers from fishermen to, you know, farmers to amazing restaurants and like this cool network exists and we, I guess, just want to be a part of it. So so what we hope to do is to kind of create a, a package, almost like a CSA of sorts, but sourcing from various food growers and producers and provide that to to start our existing customers and then hopefully new people around the Midcoast in the future. And kind of part of the business model of that is that, yeah, we're already on the road going to all these people's houses with this other service. Why don't we use those same miles to close the loop for each of these people to connect them to this amazing local food system even more than they might already be to cut down on the number of miles they're driving to get to the grocery store so i think that was kind of our vision and we're working to kind of implement it right now we're going to start a pilot program for probably about 20 of our customers where they can pay an additional fee every month and they can get this kind of csa box every week or every two weeks, along with their clean compost bucket. So very excited about that. Cool. That sounds super exciting. Um, so you both are entrepreneurs, but you're also very mission-driven. You're environmentalists, you're activists. Can you talk at all about the intersectionality of being a private business with an environmental mission? That is strange to think that we have become entrepreneurs. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't think we really could have foreseen that. Uh, I think in the back of both of our minds, there's a, a critique on why these solutions have to come from independent risk takers and why we can't look at composting from a strictly beneficial standpoint. 
I think that Tess and I both recognize the, the impact that can come with a business model at scale. The, the intent of our business is to divert food scraps from landfills and incinerators. And we are trying to grow that impact through a business model that can reach many more people. Like to be the business owner that makes those impacts means less to us than the impacts themselves. Yeah, I, I think like David said, that for us, the business is a means to an end. If, if a business model is what's gonna make that impact, fine. Um, but I think that both of us have paid very close attention to the fact that it, it has to be a business model at this point in time and not a nonprofit or not a municipal program. Obviously there are limitations to all three of those options um, and benefits. And certainly there are examples of all three across the country um, and around the world. So there are a lot of different elements that played into the decision to make it a business. I think also the fact that we tried to start a nonprofit for something else and it didn't pan out the way that we thought it would, I think kind of pushed us in a different direction. And since we weren't like a city council, we couldn't decide to make it a municipal program. So, so it's kind of what happened in the moment. But I think underlying all of that, like Davis said, is the fact that really it's, it's what we had to do to make this project work or what we felt we needed to do. Mm, that's super interesting. I love that. Um, so the last question I ask in each of these interviews is really just in five years time, looking back, in what ways will you have built resilience into what you're doing? I hope that we will have successfully integrated food delivery, but something that we often say to each other and sometimes out loud to other people is that we want to be kind of an organics management company. So the idea that like these materials exist in many facets of our community and our life. So food, food waste, you know, what compost, however you think about it. So to have a more holistic understanding of of materials in our community and like how to better direct them to better use that's kind of the place we want to be in, which is such a weird thing to try to communicate through a business. <laughs> um, but I think hopefully looking back, we'll have set ourselves up in a way that we can do that. Like we started with this foundation of composting to set ourselves up for that success and also to set up the people around us for getting in that place, like being able to understand that food waste doesn't have to be waste. I think is kind of our, an ultimate goal. So hopefully what we've done will put us there. Yeah, that's awesome. And it, I, yeah, it sounds like you guys are totally making the right calls. You're growing your business. You're thinking about food systems in a way to have a really, really great impact long-term. So that's awesome. I feel like we've actually even just started. Like that's yeah. the, that's where I'm at. Is it okay? <laughs> now we're actually running a business. We're not just like some kids in a parking lot with a truck. <laughs> it was like, a project, like, and now it's a business. Like now we have responsibilities. We've grown up. People, people have to. People will now depend on us. Uh, we promise the service will be reliable, and we won't have our <laughs> shut down for four months ever again. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh. <laughs> Oh my God, that is amazing. Well, thank you both so much for chatting. I learned a lot and I can't wait to see what y'all get up to next. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and please reach out at podcast at islandinstitute.org and let me know what you liked, what you didn't like, and maybe who I should talk to next. 
I also wanted to remind you on November 12th is our business structures workshop. It's called What's Your Best Business Structure, S-Corp, LLC, or Sole Proprietor. We're bringing in an attorney and a CPA to help you figure out the best business structure for the growth of your business. You can register and find out more info at islandinstitute.org slash events. And then be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening. And you can also subscribe to our Commercial Currents newsletter. That's at islandinstitute.org slash smallbusiness. This is our small business support newsletter. So you'll get our resources, info about upcoming workshops and events, everything delivered right to your inbox. And then finally, this episode was produced and edited by Jack Sullivan and me. <laughs>